Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning and to be opening up God's word uh, this morning as we as we um, look into John's gospel in chapter 14. And so I'm going to read uh, for you from, from this passage uh, where Jesus is comforting his disciples. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to read uh, John 14, verses 1 to 10. So if you have Bibles or if you want to open up uh, your web browser and, and a new tab, and, and uh, John 14, 1 to 10. But before we do that, uh, congregation, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer to, to our God. Father, we thank you for um, giving us your word, uh, for causing our hearts to, to uh, be able to um, listen deeply and to be changed by your word. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit may, may open up the eyes of our hearts uh, this morning to receive this from you uh, and that we would be strengthened in our faith and, uh, and love, love you and others uh, more deeply from it. Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever uh, gone on a hike and uh, lost your way? Uh, when Tracy and I began dating, uh, shortly after we first met, we, we began going on walks together. And um, these walks, you know, we, we would go walking around uh, the Redeemer campus where we were going to school. And then we got bored of that. So then we started walking in new neighborhoods. And uh, we would drive to these neighborhoods and, and park the car. And what I would do is I would um, take out my phone and I would uh, mark a pin, drop a pin on where the car, car was parked. And then we would go wandering through the neighborhoods. We would lose track of, of where we were walking. We'd be talking and, and getting to know each other more. And then, and then when it was time to get, go back to the car, um, you know, I'd take out my phone, I'd look at the GPS, and then we'd find our way back. Uh, there was one time, though, unfortunately, that I didn't take into account the effect that cold weather has on a cell phone battery. 
So during our walk, I marked the uh, I marked the spot with a pin. We went out. Uh, we wandered around the neighborhood, and when it came time to go back to the car, I took out my phone, and it was dead. And so we had no map, no phone, no compass, and I had no clue how to get back. And so my first thought was panic. Right? I have no idea where I am. I have no idea where I parked the car. I wasn't paying attention to street signs. I wasn't paying attention to the things that were around me. And now I found myself completely lost and have no way of finding my way back. And plus it was getting kind of cold. <laughs> have you ever felt like this? Have you ever had the feeling of losing your way, of not knowing your surroundings and then feeling that panic? I think the disciples found themselves in a position a little bit like this. There's a lot changing in their lives right about now, even every second. They're in the upper room having the Passover meal, the Last Supper with Jesus. At the beginning of this meal, Jesus you know, gets down on his knees and washes the disciples' feet. The master, doing the job of a servant, he flips the script and they're dumbfounded. What's going on here? Then a little later on, Judas, one of the 12 who they know very well, is called a traitor by Jesus and is said to, to, to be the one who's going to hand him over and he walks out into the night. And then Peter, vocal and dedicated Peter, is, is said by Jesus to be one who's going to abandon him, Jesus, in his time of need. And then to top it off, Jesus says, I will only be with you for a little while longer. Do you see, do you sense this, that the, 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 the landscape, the surroundings of where the disciples find themselves is, is getting a little bit less, um, is getting blurry. It's changing. There's no landmarks for themselves to go off of. There's no map in front of them. You know, maybe we feel a little bit like this in our, in our present time, right? With, with the, the COVID-19 pandemic shifting and changing the landscape around us, many of us find ourselves panicked or confused or frustrated at what the world looks like right now and, and the new reality it brings for us. The surroundings that we're used to seeing are no longer uh, visible to us. This is why Jesus tells the disciples in this passage, and it's why it's so important for us this morning, he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. How can, how can he say this to the disciples when everything around them is changing? Don't let your hearts be troubled because he is everything that they need. In a time of crisis, Jesus talks about himself as the one who heals their troubled hearts. How? It's simple. He says, believe in me. Believe in me. And so this morning, we're going to look at three things. Why do we need to believe? What does it mean for us to believe in Jesus? And how can we believe more deeply? So first, why do we need to believe? Well, believing in something means that you trust it. It means that you know it to be something you can, you can um, put your faith in and it will come through for you. Uh, think for a second with me about a car. Right. Uh, whenever we get into a car, whenever we step into a car and drive down the freeway at 100, um, 110, 100, 130 for some people, we are believing in that car that it will keep us safe as we're screaming down the 401 with cars all around us and, and trucks and stuff. When you think about it for a second, it's crazy, but we believe that the car will keep us safe. But hold on a second. Right? Have you ever noticed that cars are pretty fragile? I mean, have you ever seen somebody walk by with a key 
and, and, and they, they dig it into the side of the car and it doesn't take much for a big scratch to, to be etched into the side of a car. Or if someone leans on the car in the wrong spot, there's a big dent, right? If, or if you're driving down the road and a rock gets kicked up by another car and hits the windshield, all of a sudden there's a massive crack in your windshield. Cars are pretty fragile, right? At least on the surface they appear to be. How can we believe that a car will keep us safe? Because it isn't what's on the surface that allows our hearts not to be troubled, not to panic, not to be, um, you know, uh, not to lose trust in the car when we step into it every time. It's what's underneath. Because when you begin to strip off, you know, the, the metal hood, the, the windshield, the tires, or you take off the doors and you look underneath, when you begin taking out the engine, you see what's on the inside. What creates the trust is the frame. It's the frame of the cards. That's the hidden strength. And the frame isn't fragile, right? The frame is a massive hunk of steel. The frame is incredibly strong. It's what, it's what allows the car to be trustworthy and true. If you have never seen a car frame, if you've never felt it, get on your hands and knees, right? Go outside, crawl underneath your parents' car and tell them Pastor Hayden told you to do it, right? Feel the frame. Feel how strong that is. It's invisible to our eyes when, when, the, when we get into a car on a normal day, but it's the basis for our trust in the car. It's what the car is built on. It's what makes it strong. What about us? Right? What is our frame? What is it, the thing that you really trust to carry you when you come up against difficult, confusing times of panic, troubled times in our lives? See, none of us can avoid the fact that we all have something that we build our lives on. We have something that we trust to carry us through. This is why in this passage, Jesus says, believe in me. Jesus highlights how important it is for the disciples in their troubled time to hold on to him and trust in him, build their life on him. Right? He says later on in the passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is important because we have a problem. We replace building our frame on God with other things. And we do this all the time, all the time. This was, in fact, the first sin. If you think back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve ate the fruit, right? they began building their life on something other than God. What they said when they ate the fruit was, we know, God, that you've told us not to eat this fruit, but we think we actually know better. We want to build our life on what we think will give us the best life rather than what you say will give us the best life. This is sin, when we replace trust in God with trust in something else. Often, um, we're tempted to replace this with the good things that we do in our lives. Right? We, look, we look to God and we say, look at me, look at how often I, you know, I read the Bible or I go to church, or uh, look at how good of a citizen I am, or how obedient I am to the things that you ask of me. You say, you know, if, if, if I do the right things, right, if I, can, if I can obey God enough, then he will bless me. Then trouble times won't come to me. But think of Job in the Bible. 
Think of somebody, he's somebody who had such a high standard of living. He was a righteous man, the Bible says. And yet, he had everything taken away from him. When Job's friends caught wind of, of all the suffering and the trouble that, that Job had encountered, they say to him, Job, of course you've done something wrong because this type of thing doesn't happen to good people. And yet, and yet, at the end of the book of Job, God commends Job for being a righteous person. It wasn't because Job had done something wrong. It shows us that troubled hearts, suffering, pain, loss, sadness, come to good people and bad people. They come to the righteous and the unrighteous. Building our life on good works cannot help us avoid pain and trouble and sadness. On the other hand, um, we find ourselves in a culture of, of medication. What does medication do? Right, It takes away the symptoms. If you have a headache, one of the best ways to get rid of the intense pain, right, the, the, the limiting pain that, that, we, that we feel in our heads um, from this, this headache is to take Advil. Right? We, we uh, medicate ourselves to, to get the problem to go away. Does, does it take away the actual headache? No, but it makes us feel better. And we do this with, thing, with the, the trouble in our hearts, too. We believe often in medication rather than in God. Have you ever, um, you know, often people uh, will, who, who are feeling loneliness or grief or greed, instead of, you know, praying and trusting God for everything, will medicate it by adding, you know, busyness to our lives to avoid feeling lonely. Or busying ourselves with, with things to do, trips to go on, in order to avoid feeling the empty feelings of loss and grief from that loved one who passed away. Or we, we find ourselves buying things and filling our lives with things to satisfy our greed. But we just end up wanting more and more and more. What does Jesus tell us to do is to fast. And fasting is an intentional stripping of, of our life of medication that we, rely, that we rely on and then turning that towards Jesus. Right? When we fast, we learn that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is all we need. See, what's going on in your heart today? Where's the trouble we all need to believe in Jesus. Second thing, what does it mean for us to believe? Well, believing in Jesus sees trusting and following him as the only way to a renewed relationship with God. See, notice right away in this passage, Jesus says to his disciples after telling them to, be to believe in him, he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms if that were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. What is he saying? It sounds like he's saying, you know, we're going to go to heaven when we die. Right? He's going away from the disciples so that he can, he can build a place for them to live when they die. But look at the first words. My father's house. Think about other times that Jesus has said that in the Gospels or in the Bible. 
Or think about when Jesus was young and, and Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they went to Jerusalem for a festival and then, and then they left and, and Mary and Joseph, they, they went back to Galilee and, and they thought Jesus was with them and then they couldn't find him and they went back to Jerusalem and they found him in the temple and, and they said to him, how could you do this to us? We were looking everywhere for you. You caused us so much grief and, and worry. And Jesus says, of course I will be in my father's house. You should know this. My father's house, the temple. Or when Jesus is clearing the temple of, of things that, that are um, just not, the, not what God wants to be in his temple, but the, the, the uh, money changers and, and all those people. And, and he, he kicks them out of the temple and he says, he's, he says, how can you make my father's house into a den of robbers? My father's house. Whenever Jesus talked about my father's house, he was talking about the temple. In the temple... The disciples would have known this right, because they were able to walk around and see it. There were many rooms in the temple. They were outside the main buildings and they were used for many different things. They were used for storing tithes. Um, the, the Israelites didn't just bring money to the temple. They also brought things like grain, right? And that had to be stored somewhere. And so they had these rooms built on the outside of the temple to, to store all of these things. Um, they also had rooms for private counseling sessions with people, kind of like a pastor's office, right, where priests would meet with, with people. Uh, they also had, had rooms that the priests would stay because the priests lived in different places in, um, in the nation of Israel. And they would come to the temple uh, for the work of the temple and they would need a place to stay. And so what Jesus is saying here, when he's talking about the rooms, there's, there's many rooms in my father's temple. What he's saying is that, is that he's prepared, he's preparing, he's going to prepare places for the disciples to do the work of the priests. And the, the Greek word um, is actually, uh, to, for word is actually abide, to remain. Right? He's, he's creating a place for them to remain as priests. And the question in front of them is, okay, hold on a second, because not everyone in Jewish culture, in, in the Israelite uh, culture, would, would be able to be priests. It depended upon your family line. It depended upon your education, if you were allowed to be in, in that space. It, it, and the disciples didn't qualify. Right? They weren't able to be the ones who would remain in those rooms, except that Jesus came to earth to make this possible. See, what Jesus is saying here is that he is doing what the Bible's vision for our world is, right? It starts as a garden and then it ends as, as a city, a city with no temple because the whole place is a temple of God. Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to, to, to the cross where I'm going to heal the gap between you and God. I'm going to heal what makes it what the, the so that the priests don't need to be the ones who are mediating the relationship between God and human beings. I'm going to make it possible for you, for everyone, for all of my disciples to remain, to abide, to live, to work, to dwell in the presence of God forever. See, believing in Jesus means that we have this type of relationship with God through Jesus. Through him, we are able to be in God's presence because of what he has done for us on the cross. 
Believing in Jesus also means we can trust him no matter what. Notice how many questions the disciples had. I can't really, I can't really blame them, right? If I was in their shoes, I would have a ton of questions too. Questions for Jesus are natural. We all have them. We all have times where our lives are troubled. And, and for the disciples, this was one of these moments. But I'm also struck by the language of some of, some of the other readings that we had this morning. Of David in Psalm 31 and Stephen in Acts chapter 5. Right? Both of these people show us a surefire faith in God, regardless of how his plans align with their own. Did you notice that when you were reading uh, Psalm 31 in Acts 5? For example, Psalm 31, David has petition after petition after petition. Right? He asks God, he cries out to God to do things for him. He says, lead me, deliver me, save me, right? keep me from the trap. Petition after petition after petition, wrestling with God. That's part of what it means to believe is to be honest with God and wrestle with what's going on in our lives. But notice how David ends in this psalm. He ends with a deep, deep trust. He reaches this captivating verse where he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? He submits himself to God, to the will of God. How can this type of, how can, how can this type of submitting right, be something that we can do how can, how can we have such a surefire trust that, that, that God has our best in mind, even in the midst of such troubling times? In this passage in John 14, Philip asks a question that begins to dig at this too. Philip asks a question, he says, give us revelation. Give us proof. Give us the Father. We want the Father. We want revelation. And Jesus responds to him by saying, Philip, you have seen the Father. I am the perfect revelation of the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He says, trust me. You can have a surefire belief because of me. Look at the works, Jesus says. Look at the evidence of the works. And when he says works, he's talking about the signs in his gospel. John's gospel has signs written into it. The water into the wine, the healing of the official's son, the raising of Lazarus. And all of these signs point to the fact that Jesus was, as John says he, he is, the word of God become flesh. God himself become human. But all of these signs were meant to point to the last sign. The reality that didn't sink in for them about who Jesus was until they saw this, and that is the cross and the empty grave. The cross is the answer to their questions. The cross is the, the, the answer to how can we trust God no matter what happens in our world? Because the cross is the place where all the trouble and all the fear that could ever come to us in our lives was thrown at Jesus. Punishment for sin, abandonment, betrayal, torture, grief, injustice, pain, sadness, loss. Jesus went to the cross and took this upon himself. 
All of these things, all of the trouble that we experience in our lives was thrown at Jesus. See, David can say in this psalm, into your hands I commit my spirit, knowing that God will be true because of what God has done for him in the past. We as Christians living after the cross and the resurrection cannot just look to the past, we can look to Jesus. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said this, he said, into my in your hands, I commit my spirit, and it killed him. It killed him. So Jesus heals our hearts because he took on him our trouble, our pain, our sin, our grief, our sadness, our loss. And he committed his spirit to God and let it kill him. So now we can look at Jesus and we can know that whatever we experience in our lives, anything has been paid for in full on the cross, has been conquered in full on the cross. And all that's left for us is life, life with God, a renewed relationship with the Father. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I know all this. I was raised with all of this. This was hammered into my head ever since I was a baby. And it's still, I find myself with trouble in my heart. I still find myself hung up on trouble that I experienced in my life, grief that I experienced in my life that I can't get over. How, do, how, does, how is this good news for me if there's things that I seem to, to be hung up on? And, and the answer to this is, is, is that we can know things we can know things in our head and not have them sunk into our hearts. We can, we can know and understand truths about the gospel without really knowing the gospel. Without embracing these truths in our hearts. And we can only, the Bible says, we can only really see and experience the healing, the true healing of Jesus when we learn how to meditate on it. Now, meditating uh, simply means thinking about something for a while. But Tim Keller help, is helpful in the way that he puts it. He says, meditation is spiritually digesting the scripture, applying it, thinking out how it affects you, describes you, guides you in the most practical way. Meditation, he goes on, is taking the truth down into our hearts until it catches fire and there begins to melt and shape our reactions to God, ourselves, and the others in our world. Right, so meditation is, is a is, is sitting in the scriptures, sitting in the gospel truths, the promises of God, the character of God, in the midst of all the things that we experience until it hits home. Uh, high school students, you may know, sorry I'm picking on you high school students, but this is because of my experience as a high school student. Um, they're known for inhaling food, right? Um, you look at uh, the plate, it's full one moment, you look at it again, and it's empty. Like, where did all the food go, right? 
parents of, of high school students, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so one of the things we say is, well, you inhaled that, right? <laughs> and, and that's okay. But if you ask them, what did the meal taste like? They would probably only say good. They wouldn't be able to identify individual flavors. This is the difference between reading scripture or knowing things about Jesus and, and embracing them in our heart. Do we let ourselves taste scripture? Do we let ourselves enjoy scripture? Do we let the sourness of some things sit in our mouths? Or do we just inhale it? Letting scripture sit is what Peter is talking about. When he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, you will mature your faith. Slow down, people of God. Taste Jesus and the gospel. Let the sourness come out. Let the sweetness sit. And enjoy that Jesus Christ heals our hearts. This may take, for some of us, a day. This may take a week or a month. Some of us, it can take years to be healed. But we need to sit in scriptures, meditating on the goodness of God, knowing that no matter what, we can commit our spirit to him, and he will come through. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you, and we need you in our lives. We need your word, and we love your word, and we desire more of the gospel to sink into us and to lead us to deep change. Uh, Father, we're sorry for the times that we um, try to prove ourselves to you or when we try to medicate the trouble in our hearts with, with things other than you. Um, Father, uh, help us to uh, understand, to know that, that we are your children, whom you love so deeply, whom you went to the cross for, who you rose again for, and who you lead and guide forever. Lord, we pray that this would be something that would sink deep, deep down into our hearts and allow us to be um, people who share this good news with those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.